0: On January 13th, uh, 2018, just a few weeks ago, uh, the Hawaii Emergency Management System sent a text message to all the residents on the island. Ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. Text came at 8.08 in the morning uh, with an unpredictable dictator in North Korea. The surprise attack of Pearl Harbor, just the the volatile political discourse of our day made this text message seem very plausible. It was not a drill. It was an accident. A simple staffer clicked live alert instead of test alert. It took the officials 38 minutes to send a follow-up text to to let everyone know that it was a mistake and that everything was, was safe. 38 minutes of silence, waiting for a ballistic missile to crash into the island. What would you have done during those 38 minutes? Would you have sought shelter as the text message said, or would you have just ignored it and said it's just, it must be a, a fluke? What would you say to your family or your children? What would you say to God in that moment? 38 minutes. Of silence. Waiting for a disaster is nothing new. Uh, our country has dealt with the Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962, the war scare of 1983. Uh, America has been under serious threat of attack in the past. Hawaii was ready and alert for an imminent and immediate disaster. This is not a test. Putin, King Jong un, Trump, three leaders who can who uh, often act irrationally and make verbose claims of their country's military prowess. Former Secretary of State William Perry recently warned, we are at greater risk of nuclear catastrophe now than we were during the Cold War. If you woke up with that text message, ballistic missile threat inbound to the United States, seek immediate shelter, this is not a test. What would you do? Would you dismiss it? Scripture this morning warns of a far greater threat than a ballistic missile. The Bible warns that God will pour out his wrath on all the earth. So I pray that when you receive this text message from God's word, you would shelter you would seek shelter from the storm coming of God's wrath. Three headings I want to look at as we walk through these two chapters of Revelation 8 and 9. The first is the preparation, the preparation for the wrath. We haven't done in Revelation in several weeks. If you remember in Revelation chapter 5, it kind of begins this section of scripture. John sees a scroll sealed with seven seals and he begins to weep loudly because there was no one worthy to open the scroll. And as John wept, one of the elders of in heaven said weep no more behold the lion of the tribe of Judah the reader David has conquered so he can open the scroll and its seven seals Jesus is the only one who is worthy to open the seals now, Revelation 6 begins with Jesus opening these seals and there's, a, there's an interlude between uh, sixth and the seventh seal as the readers remind themselves of a the great multitude gathered around the throne who cry out salvation belongs to to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. This great picture, of chapter 7, of this glorious uh, throne room gathering. Revelation seven seventeen says, For the Lamb, in the midst of the throne, will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So after God gives this glorious picture of grace, and mercy, and compassion, on those who were washed and clothed with the righteous robes of Christ, to the blood of the Lamb. Then the seventh seal opened. Now, some of you are not used to maybe reading a book like Revelation. You, you kind of come to Revelation, it sounds harsh. And some of the things you're going to read here are going, are going, are, are going to undo us in many senses. But remember, who is the one who is opening the seal? It's the, it's the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb of God. The proud and the arrogant, the lawless and the obstinate, will finally face God's justice. Heaven is full of God's praises. The, 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 the cherubim and the seraphim, the 24 elders, the, the angelic choir, fill heaven with the praises of our great triune God. Until the seventh seal is open. Look at what it says in Revelation 8-1 again. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. When we hear silence, something tells us something's coming. There's a holy anticipation in heaven for the coming of the power of Almighty God. There is Silence, heaven, is preparing for the end of history. Now, in our day, silence is rare. We're always hearing noises. But beloved, silence is a gift. It forces contemplation. It presses our minds to consider our own mortality, our own eternity. Maybe, maybe we should make a practice of Revelation 8:1 in your own life. Take take 30 minutes of your of your. Of your, of your week, or 30 minutes once a month, and just sit in silence, thinking about what God has done for you in Christ and what God will do at the end of history. It's sober. It sobers us. It reminds us of our ever-present need of Him. Heaven is silent, and then it prepares for this judgment. Look at verse 2. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of that angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And remember when we opened the fifth seal, the prayers of the martyrs of how long, O Lord, how long will you come and bring justice upon the nations that avenge our our name? As saints throughout history have, have prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Here we see the prayers of the saints brought before God. God accepts that prayer and he is going to answer this world with his justice. A visible manifestation of his power. Now the storm imagery here, right there in verse, verse 5, it's it's kind of repeated again in the beginning of chapter uh, 11. I'm sorry, at the end of chapter 11. These peals of thunder, these rumblings, these, rumbling, these flashes of, of light and this earthquake would have brought back to the original audience Mount Sinai. That, that culture was immersed in, in, in the Old Testament scriptures. They would have thought of God's deliverance through um, the plagues of in Egypt. Through the plagues account in Exodus, there is a refrain, if you read through Exodus, the continuity says that, that God's actions, the reason why God brought the plagues upon Egypt, was that they may know that I am the Lord. The reason for the plagues is that everybody in Egypt and the surrounding areas would know that there is only one Sodom, there is only one powerful God. And here what we see in Revelation is not just for the nation of Egypt, but it is for all the earth, to show that there is one Lord. And the blowing of the trumpet, the Lord is showing that he is far above any earthly gods. The plagues were sent to deliver Israel, and now the plagues are sent to the earth to deliver the eschatological Israel, the people of God. As one scholar notes as the plagues will precede the release of the children of Israel from their Egyptian masters, so plagues will precede the exodus of the church from hostile political powers. They are the prelude to the great and final exodus in which the church is taken out of the world and enters the eternal presence of God. Constant allusions throughout this section to the Egyptian plagues is a way of emphasizing that in the last days God will again bring punishment upon those hostile powers that oppress his people. It's been a while since we've been in the book, but remember the letters of the seven churches. Again and again, these churches are facing oppression from the hostile Roman uh, emperor. The exodus then is only a small preview of the future exodus that's coming at the end of history. The second heading we want to look at tonight is the punishment. The punishment. The first is the preparation for the, the blowing of the trumpets. Now we see the unloading of... The punishment of the Lord. So, as we read these effects of each trumpet, it's easy to see the terror and dread that comes upon the earth. But notice that through the first four trumpet blasts, the destruction is not permanent. God has not fully vetted, fully unleashed His power on the earth, but only has done it a partial destruction. Here, what the text says in, in Revelation 8:6 through 12. Now the seven angels, who are the seven trumpets, prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there fired hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown down, thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light may be darkened, and a third of the day might be keep keep from shining. Likewise, a third of the night. These first four trumpets really are affecting the physical nature, the physical earth, the the land, the the seas, the the rivers, uh, the luminaries, the sun, the stars, and the moon. I think there's three main ideas right here at the beginning of these first four trumpet blasts. First, is that God is powerful. We never want to forget that God is the powerful, almighty God. He will not be mocked. We should never approach him lightly, in a trivial manner. He is holy. He is awesome. We should approach him as such. So not only is he powerful, I think that, that, that the, the trumpets show that, but two, that he is proving how he is greater than all other earthly gods. God is not just powerful, but he is supreme. It is futile to turn against him. This was exactly what he did in sending the, in the plagues in Exodus. It's the same thing he's doing here. And third, God wants people to repent. That's why you see that refrain again and again, a third. A third. A third. It could be literal, or it could just be a large number. I think what the the point, the theological point is, is that God is not unleashing all his destructive power, but he's giving people a chance to repent. He's giving them a chance to turn to, to him. It is foolish to follow earthly gods. They will come to nothing. Only God will last. And he is beckoning the, the whole earth to come to him and worship. So as the first four trumpet blasts focus on the physical earth, the next three focus on the earth dwellers, those who dwell on the earth. Now, if you're reading through Revelation on your own and you see those who dwell on the earth, he's not referring to all mankind. He's referring to those who do not yet know God. Those who do not know Jesus as. As the Lord. And right there at the end of chapter 8, we see this ominous warning from an eagle of what was to come. Look at verse 13. John's vision. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead Woe! Woe! Woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Again, he's just warning people to come to Christ. He's saying, "If all these first four were bad, it's only going to get worse. Repent, come to Him." If we see this in the Book of Jonah, it says that Jonah went into Nineveh and he, he said that this city is going to be destroyed. And in the Old Testament prophets, every time someone came and announced destruction, it was always implied that there was a, a chance to come and repent. So, those of you who are here who do not yet know Christ, God is asking you to repent. He's saying, "Yes, judgments are coming." Woe is coming, but, but turn to Him. Experience salvation. Experience uh, forgiveness. Remember, God is kind. Who is opening the seal? It is the Lamb who is slain. Salvation belongs to the one who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. The power we see in the trumpets, trumpet plagues, is meant to bring repentance for those who dwell on the earth. But not only that, but to encourage His people. Those who are being oppressed and and, 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 and beat down by the, by the governing authorities, saying, listen, there comes a day when God will vindicate his people. He will deliver them from every hostile power of the day. Now, we think our government is hostile, and many times it is hostile to the faith. But it's far different in other parts of the world, where they're killed for their faith. God's power is an ever-present reminder... For us to hold fast to Christ. Where else are you going to turn? As his power is an ever-present reminder for us to to turn to Christ. Or or, or to hold on to Christ. It's a reminder to everybody else to turn to Christ. Or face his wrath. So the last three trumpets and woes really fall on those who dwell on the earth or the, the wicked. Now if you read through the Psalms, what do you see? You see God asking to for for him to send vengeance upon the wicked of the earth. Now we all know this theologically. We all have wickedness. Now we all are created and cl- born in iniquity. We all have have sin. And if we remain in our sin, God says that what's going to happen here it will happen to them. But for us who have come to Christ, who have turned, who have been who have been washed with the righteous robes of Christ, notice that it does not fall upon us. The fifth and the sixth judgments is twice as long as the. The first four. Look at verse, chapter 9, verse 1. It says, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet. And I saw a star falling from heaven to earth, and it was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air was darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth. They were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth They were told not to harm the glass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, and to, but not to kill them. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion who stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die. But death will flee from them. And appearance, the locusts were like the horses prepared for battle. On their heads where they were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair. And their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of wings was like the noise of many chariots. With horses rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpions. Their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have a they have as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name is in Hebrew is Abadon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. You read that and it's it's is meant to create this graphic picture. I don't think that what John is looking at here, what John is seeing, is meant to be interpreted hundred percent literally. It's to create a vision of of the wrath that is coming upon the earth. In those days, people will seek death. It will be so bad that they will want to die and they will not be allowed to die. That they will be allowed to torment for five months. These demonic forces are sent to destroy their worshipers. Those who worship demonic things only to get pleasure are, are going to be destroyed by them themselves. Those who worship the things of the earth will be destroyed by the things of the earth. The leader of these demonic forces, the word in Hebrew and the word in Greek, both mean destroyer. Some would say that it is actually Satan himself who was released from the bottomless pit. Uh, others would say it was just, just an angel. We see more of Satan, especially in chapter 12. But the message is clear. That the demonic forces are meant to destroy the image of God. Those who are born in the image of God, created in the image of God, but do not yet follow Christ. When I was, when I was reading this, I kind of had a, a weird thought. It kind of reminds me of Pinocchio. You know, uh, because what Pinocchio and his friends did, they went to, to go to the place to have all this fun and all this pleasure. And all this fun and this pleasure that they sought, what did it do to them? It turned them into a donkey. The world promises fun and excitement and pleasure, but the real aim of the fun and pleasure and excitement this world offer is your own destruction. You have seen people who have an idol of of lust or an idol of, of alcohol. See it destroy their lives. Earthly pleasure leads to eternal torment. Do not be deceived with the intent of earthly gods. Their ultimate aim is not your good, but to torment and destroy I think that's what what John is trying to draw out. These people who dwell upon the earth, who do not worship God, but worship the things of this world, they will eventually be destroyed by those gods. It says here, Mankind long for death, the torture of a scorpion like locust. If we think this picture of locust, read back through the the minor prophets, which you see the day of the Lord is often like the coming of of locusts. What we're looking at here is the end of history. God is unleashing his final... Judgment upon history. And even now, if people would turn from their sins, God would heal and forgive them. Look at this next trumpet, the sixth trumpet, verse 13. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who have been prepared for the day, the hour, of the day, the month, and the year, were released to kill a third of mankind. A number of mounted troops was twice, 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision. And those who rode with them, they wore breastplates the color of fire, and of sapphire, and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. And fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. So what the sixth trumpet does, it finishes what the fifth trumpet began. The demonic cavalry rise upon the earth to destroy. That number is multiplied out as 200 million. But whether they are demonic spirits or a literal army, war is coming from the evil one. It was unwise to think about parallels we see in John's day, maybe the the Perithian army that that often beat Rome. Or in our day, the idea of tanks or or helicopters. We must read this theologically. What is John's purpose here? Why did God give him these visions? These visions were given so that people would repent. People would be destroyed by the very things they worship, unless they worship the one true God, and they would be forgiven and welcomed into the eternal kingdom. Grant Osborne, one scholar, says this, The message for John's day and our day is clear. We must help believer and unbeliever alike to realize what is at stake. Idolatry in our society is not so obvious. But just as real as it was in John's day, whatever we place ahead of God in our lives is our idol. Therefore, the modern world, hear me, is replete with idols. Money, possessions, power, pleasure, sex, success, fame, drugs. These are all tools of Satan. And there are countless stories in which these very things were tortured have tortured and killed those who pursue them. We must warn people of the cosmic powers in control of the secular world and call them to God. You know, when you when you look at this text, it's a it's a it's a text that should call that should shake us. But God's wrath is coming. Now, most often, when when we when we ride, walk into church, the aim of the pastor is to make you feel better about yourselves, to feel better about. Things going on in your world before you walked in. Well, listen, I pray that I will do that here in a moment, but before we get there, let's understand that there is judgment coming. And of those who do not know the Lord, it is is an awful judgment. And God has has given us the task of going and sharing that judgment is coming. So repent. Isn't that the message of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, his very first words, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? The Lord Jesus came with a message of repentance. Therefore, if you do not repent, judgment is coming. This world will disappoint and destroy. Do not believe the lies of the evil one. This world and your idols will turn on you. Their aim is your destruction. Turn to God and live. He's the only trustworthy Savior. He's the only sovereign. He's the only supreme. Turn to God through Christ and live. Last heading, and we'll close the protection. The protection. You know, as we read through this, these, this, these trumpets being blown and God's wrath being poured out upon the earth, I think the saddest part in this whole entire, this whole entire two chapters, uh, is the end of chapter nine, when people see all this, and yet they still do not repent. Look at what verse twenty. And 21 says, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor do they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual morality or their the greatest tragedy of life is a lack of repentance. The greatest tragedy is that God has made a way through Christ. That God sent His Son to die in our place, to take our punishment, to be, to be raised from the dead on our behalf, to give us hope for all eternity. And people don't take it. It's like God writing a lottery check handing you the check, and and you rip it up. I don't need that. People follow their own idols to the grave. They love sex and greed more than a gracious, merciful, compassionate God who made them. They're blinded by the spirit of the age. As C.S. Lewis has has said, often quoted, we are half-hearted creatures, Fooling around with drink and sex ambition with infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, but we cannot imagine what is meant by offered a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Friends, let us not fall like those into the tragedy of this passage. Let us run from our idols. Let us just run from them. Let's confess our struggles to one another and run from our idols and seek shelter in the storm. God is an ever-present help in our time of need. He is our refuge. We cannot avoid the trumpet blast. The storm is coming. We have to seek a God for protection and shelter. Look at Revelation 9.4. It says, These demonic beings were told not to harm the grass of the earth, any green plant, any tree, but only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. The great tribulation will be severe, but it will only touch those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. If you are in Christ, if you have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, by turning from your sins and trusting in Him, the Bible says you have have been marked, you've been set aside, by the seal of the Holy Spirit, marked unto Him. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, everyone who confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, is marked off as a believer in Christ. We're sealed as sons and daughters by the Holy Spirit of God. As Paul so beautifully wrote, By the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, For I am sure that neither death nor life, Neither angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus Christ is the only sure shelter in the coming storm. Bob Coughlin, songwriter, writes these words. I have a shelter in the storm. When all my sins accuse me, their justice charges me with guilt. Your grace will not refuse me. O oh, Jesus, I will hide in you who bore my condemnation. I find my refuge in your wounds, for there I find salvation. I have a shelter in the storm, when constant winds will break me. For in my weakness I have learned, your strength will not forsake me. O oh, Jesus, I will hide in you, the one who bears my burdens. Your faithful hands that cannot fail will bring me home to heaven. Friend, find Jesus as the shelter from the storm. The the message of this text, Dangerous threat inbound for the earth. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. Friend, this is not a drill. One day the trumpets will blast, and woe will come. Or... The trump shall resound. And even so, even so, it is well with my soul. Repent of your sins. Seek your shelter in Christ. He is our sure and steady anchor in the fury of the storm. When the winds of death blow through us, our sails have all been torn. In the suffering and the sorrows, when our sinking hopes are few, let us hold fast to the anchor and will never be removed. Christ, our sure anchor. The sure of our salvation, ever faithful, ever true, we will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a sure and steady anchor. God, I pray that those here today, that they would not fall into the tragedy of this passage. That they would leave here unrepentant. God, I pray that we would be a repentant people. God, that we would rejoice that we have a shelter in the storm, a sure and steady anchor to shield us from the day ahead. God, I pray that the hope would be for all of us here that when the trump resounds and you descend, we can say, even so, it is well with my soul. We ask this in Jesus' name, our Savior. Amen.